Uh, thanks to those of you who did the survey we, we asked for about uh, how you'd like to gather at this time. As probably predictable, it's pretty much straight down the middle in terms of response by Brexit, in terms of kind of the closeness. Uh, I hope it, we don't have Brexit attitudes, even if it's a Brexit-type uh, closeness. Uh, so it's just helpful, though, to see that. It's kind of what I'd expected, but helpful to have, have the data. So in terms of what we're planning for the way ahead, um, what we're aiming to do is that next week we hope to have two meetings in the week, so Wednesday and Thursday evening next week, we hope to do Gateway Live. Uh, in terms of Sundays, that's probably still a little way off in terms of the complexity of Sundays and having to work out things like how we might handle children's ministry and all that kind of stuff. There's also another complexity in that over the next four weeks, uh, all the team, Nathaniel, John, Richard, myself, are all having some time off. So just in terms of getting all the parts connecting uh, with lots of us being away becomes a little bit more complex as well. Um, we are using Zoom less, uh, and so we've stopped things like Sunday morning um, coffee, Zoom after the service at the moment. The numbers were declining on that pretty fast anyway. But encourage you that you can, you can organize it yourselves in your life groups, wherever if you want to do Zoom still after Sunday morning service, you can do that. Or meet up, even better, meet up physically where you can. I know a number of the life groups have met in the park, gone for bike rides this week. We'd encourage that. Uh, we are going to continue with our Sunday online, Gateway Online, um, for the foreseeable future. And uh, uh, that will continue. And also Susie and Nancy are continuing to record children's work videos. And even if we are able to come back on a Sunday in some way, the plan is that we'd still use those videos as part of the content. So whether you're watching on TV or whether you're here in person, uh, the plan is there'll be consistency, at least in teaching, for both the adults and the children uh, over this next season. So that's kind of the shape of things at the moment. Obviously, everything is subject to immediate change, depending on what happens. Uh, if uh, one of us suddenly gets COVID, which is hugely unlikely, as there's so little to endorse it, that would mean we'd have to shut everything down again for a couple of weeks. Um, face masks, we don't yet know whether the new face mask rules are going to apply to gatherings like this. So all that kind of stuff changes, and we just have to be flexible and change as we need to. But we've got pretty robust systems in terms of being able to do everything online if we have to, but increasingly be able to do things physically as well. Okay, let's get into today's message. Last week we started a series called Out of the Wilderness, looking at the example of the people of Israel as they left Egypt, spent 40 years in the wilderness, and then finally came into the Promised Land. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians 10. We'll be there again this evening if you've got a Bible. You might want to grab one of those. Uh, my theme on this occasion is only Jesus, only Jesus. And what we're doing is we're using the example of the Israelites to help us to navigate our way through this season. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that what happened to the Israelites was given to us as an example. And so we're wanting to use the example to help us navigate this complicated time. And as we think about Jesus, we're thinking about worship. Worship is inevitable. Every individual has something that they worship, and every society has things which that society deems worship worthy. We saw that very much during lockdown in terms of how people feel about the NHS. If the UK has anything like a national religion now, it is the NHS. And as we came out and clapped every Thursday, we were showing that as a society, we deem the NHS worship worthy 
worthy. And so the question really isn't, will you worship? The question is, what will you worship? And the Bible tells us that if you're worshiping the wrong thing, that is idolatry. And so Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. My dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now, who would want to be an idolater? And if you knew that what you were worshipping is actually an idol, would you even worship it? Because if it's an idol, by definition, an idol is lifeless. It's not God. And so if you're worshipping an idol, you're putting your worship, you're putting your trust, you're putting your hope in the wrong thing. And so idolatry is a kind of idiocy. It's a kind of madness. Why would you worship something which can't actually help you? And so I think probably no one in the world actually thinks they are an idolater because almost by definition, if you thought you were an idolater, you probably wouldn't do it. You'd try and turn your worship to something which is going to be more reliable than a dumb idol. But idolatry is a constant issue, a constant problem. We see that throughout the story of the Bible. With the Israelites, constantly idolatry was tripping them up. And uh, as John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. We just generate idols in our hearts the whole time. And this means that idolatry is very subtle. It's very sly. And that means that idolatry is very dangerous. It's the virus that you cannot see tends to just creep up on us, and we don't even realize that an idol has established, established itself in our hearts. A famous, a very famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, We are half-hearted creatures, falling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that idolatry is subtle, creeps up on you, you think this is it, and actually it's just mud in a slum when you could be building sandcastles on the beach. The thing is, if your eyes are stuck in the mud, it's actually really hard to know that there's something better out there. This series is called Out of the Wilderness, and Paul says that these things happen to them as examples for us. And one of the things which happened to the Israelites was that they kept falling into idolatry. And the question is, how can you get rescued by God from slavery in Egypt and still become an idolater? How can that happen to you and you end up with your eyes back in the mud rather than looking to the vision of what God has rescued you for? How does that happen? And Paul says this is a warning to us, and it's a warning to us because this could happen to us. Idolatry is always trying to sneak up on us. And I think there are things about the season that we're in which could make us especially prone to some of these sly ways in which idolatry sneaks up on us. And so we should look at the example of Israel and learn from that, learn from their mistakes and not repeat them. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul is warning us about what happens to the Israelites, but also encouraging us that the same thing doesn't have to happen to us. And the warning, the first warning is this, that past experience is not enough to keep us from idolatry. Past experience is not enough to keep us from idolatry. Here's what 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 to 5 says. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, 
that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, Paul here lists four extraordinary things that the people of Israel experienced in the Exodus. The first is the cloud. And we read about that in Exodus 14, where God's presence appeared over the people in the form of a cloud, and he literally led them so they knew which way to go. They followed the cloud of God's presence. And then Paul says they experienced the sea. And again, we read about that in Exodus 14. This is the, the Red Sea, which God parted as Moses spoke and led the people in deliverance from Egypt through the sea. Paul says then that they were baptized into Moses. This means that they entered into a way of life that God revealed. God gave Moses the law by which the people were to live and the people were to live in that way, in that new way of, 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 of God's rule. And then they experienced food and drink. God miraculously provided for them manna from heaven and quail who entered the camp and water from the rock. And the water they drank, Paul says here, it's, it was more than just physical water. Actually, Christ himself was with them as they drank from this water that God provided. Now, if you experience all of that, if you experience the cloud of God's presence leading you, if you experience miraculous deliverance by the sea opening, if you experience God giving you divine revelation about how to live, if you experience food and drink being given to you, how on earth do you become an idolater? How does that happen? But they did. And Paul says their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So what about us? Well, if you're a Christian, you've had equivalent experiences to those that the Israelites did. Not led by a cloud in the sky, but filled with the presence of the Spirit. Not crossing through the Red Sea, but passing through the waters of baptism. Not just being baptized into the way of Moses, but being baptized into the way now of Jesus. Being baptized into Christ, as Paul says in Galatians 3 and Romans 6. And not water and manna provided in the desert, but the living water that Christ gives us. That river of living water he promised would flow within us. We also, as part of this, normally have the regular experience of the Lord's Supper. We come and take the bread and the wine where we are physically, tangibly reminded of these things, of how we're coming to feed and drink on Christ it's been a long time since we've had communion together. We're thinking that maybe next week we might be able to do communion if we can. I think we can organize it in a way which is within the guidelines and which will bless us rather than hinder us. So we'll see if we can do that next week. So if you've been baptized, if you've taken communion, if you've tasted of the Holy Spirit, actually what you've had is true and better than what the Israelites had. And so... Don't go back to the mud pies of idolatry. The Israelites experienced all these amazing things, but they still went back to idolatry. And then that idolatry produced all kinds of other ugliness. This is what it says next in 1 Corinthians 10. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. 
Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. There's four things that Paul identifies here, four mistakes they made. First one, the catch-all is that they committed idolatry. And here he quotes from Exodus 32, the story of the golden calf. And the story of the golden calf is the most obvious example of the people's idolatry. Moses goes up the mountain to hear from God, to receive the law, and the people make golden calves, have a party. And you think, what? How? God, through Moses, has just led you out of Egypt. The sea is opened. You've been fed with divine bread, which appears every morning. You've been watered miraculously out of a rock where there was no water before. What, how can you suddenly start making idol images and having a big pagan party? It just doesn't make any sense, but that's what happens. And then Paul says that they committed sexual immorality. And this actually is an overflow of idolatry. This, what Paul is referencing here is a, a story that's uh, related in Numbers 25. And we read in that story that uh, some of the Israelite men were invited to the sacrifices of the gods by Moabite women. And so they went off with these Moabite women and worshipped their gods, idolatry, and then had sex with the women, immorality. The third thing that Paul says they did was to test gods. And uh, we read about this the story he's referencing is again in Numbers, Numbers 21. The people said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. It's extraordinary. God provided for them miraculously. Miserable food, manna, wow, and water. And yet they're saying, why are we here? We're going to die in this wilderness. God's not going to provide for us. It's a, it's a form of idolatry. God's not going to provide for us. We better find somebody who can. And then the fourth thing that they did is that they grumbled. And you just read this throughout the whole story again and again, that they grumbled and they grumbled and they grumbled. And it's, uh, again, a, a form of idolatry. We'd rather do it our own way, thanks, God. We, don't want to do it your way anymore. I think we'll do it our way because we don't really like how it's working out doing it your way. So we're going to do it our way instead. So they fell into these mistakes despite all that they had experienced. And as Paul says, this is an example and a warning to us. What it shows us is you can't rely just on your past experiences. It doesn't matter how amazing and radical your experience of Christ has been in the past. You can still slip into idolatry. It doesn't make any sense, but it's still possible. And this means another part of this warning is that idolatry is a real and present danger. And I think there are some dangers of the time that we're in, which can make us particularly prone to slip into these forms of idolatry. How might that happen? Let me give you some suggestions. I think one area where we could make the same mistakes the Israelites did, is to have a sense of entitlement. Think about that story of the golden calf. Moses goes up the mountain, the people have a party, make these golden calves. Uh, you can kind of imagine it. You can imagine them thinking, hey, you know not what? We've been through a really tough time. 
life has been hard. First of all, we were slaves in Egypt. That was really rough. And then we had the kind of the terror of the Exodus itself because, yeah, it was amazing. But we got to the sea and we thought we were going to be killed by Pharaoh and his army. And then, yeah, we got through it. But then we're in this wilderness and we've been wandering around and we're living in tents. And it's hard. It's been tough. And now Moses has gone up to disappear somewhere because he's so spiritual. He's got off with God and he's left us behind. And I think we'll just kick back and have a party. We've earned it. We've earned this. We've earned a bit of pagan revelry. We deserve it. It's a bit like what happened a couple of weeks back when we had that amazing weather and half a million people turned up on Bournemouth Beach. It's been a tough time. We've all been locked in for months. We deserve it. Yeah, we can leave all our mess on the beach. Somebody else will clean it up. It doesn't matter. It's that kind of sense of entitlement, which I think we're always prone to, but perhaps even more at this time when things have been restricted and difficult. And one of the things that we need to learn is to discern what is rest from what is rebellion. Because if you go through a tough time, actually what you need is rest. The people of Israel were meant to be entering the rest of God, but what they actually entered was rebellion against God. You think about how often... The Bible talks about Sabbath, how important that was for the people of Israel, a day to rest. True Sabbath is meant to restore us and bring us closer to God. A lot of what we do, which we say is rest, is actually just distracting ourselves. It's uh, doing stuff which distracts us from the toughness of life. And actually, that can just distract us from Jesus. We kind of entertain ourselves to death. And uh, we've been watching quite a bit of Netflix at home over lockdown, but it's just so easy to do. You can easily just spend hours and hours and hours thinking, I'm wrestling. No, you're not. You're just being distracted. And pretty much everything you're watching is rubbish anyway, if you really think about it. That's not rest. That's not Sabbath. Actually, that can just distract you. In the end, it can distract you from Jesus. In the end, it can lead you into rebellion. You might have a sense of entitlement. I've earned this. It's been tough. It's It's been difficult. It's been hard. I'm just going to kick back. And that can lead the slippery slope into idolatry. Another area where we might be vulnerable is our desire for security and comfort. This happens when we look for comfort and security and meaning somewhere else than God. I mean, ask the question, why was it that these Israelite men went off with these Moabite women to worship their gods and have sex with them? I mean, there were Israelite women who they were entitled to marry and have sex with? Why did they feel the need to go off with Moabite women to worship their gods and have sex with them? I think they were perhaps just looking again for distraction or looking for some kind of comfort. And this has been a very uncomfortable time. It's still a very uncomfortable time. Even just the instructions that have come the last day or two about face masks and the inconsistencies of all that and thinking, well, I can, I have to wear a face mask in the shops, but I don't have to if if I go to the pub and it just all seems ah uncomfortable. And when we feel uncomfortable, we go looking for comfort. And when we feel insecure, we go looking for security. And we can easily look for comfort and security in the wrong places. That's what the Israelites did. We mustn't repeat the mistake. And I think a third area where we can slip into idolatry is by we stop being alert to the grace of God. We become more aware of what we lack than what we have. And that inevitably leads to us starting to grumble. And I think this is difficult, difficult because 
there's a difference which can be subtle between legitimate critique of something and becoming a grumbler. So in the situation we're in at the moment, I think you can make legitimate critiques of the government. And I think that probably the general sense at the moment is the government hasn't done a terrific job a lot of the time in terms of how things have been handled. You can make a legitimate critique of how the government has handled things, but it's easy to slip from legitimate critique into something which just becomes grumbling. Oh, those goons in the government don't know what they're doing and what are they playing at? And you slip from legitimate critique into something which actually is just a grumbling heart. It's very easy to do. And the thing is that if we grumble, whether it's about the government or whether it's about the elders at Gateway or whoever it might be, in the end, ultimately, we're grumbling against God. Ultimately, it's grumbling against him. Think about the people of Israel. Oh, we want to be back in Egypt. We want to be back with the leeks of the garlic, not with this wretched matter. It's easy for us to do that. We need to be careful about that. Grumbling about our circumstances inevitably ends up with us grumbling against God. Even if we don't think we are, that's what it always becomes. If our heart attitude is one of grumbling about everything in our life, ultimately that becomes grumbling against God. It means that we're no longer trusting God. It means that we're no longer really loving him. That's what idolatry is. It's not loving God, not trusting God, not worshipping God, not serving God. And the complexities of this time could easily lead us to that place. So easy for us to say things like, oh, life would be much easier if it was like this. Life would be much more comfortable if it was like that. It's not fair that this is happening to me. And we can fall into grumbling. And grumbling is a route back into the other mistakes. We're more likely to test God if we're grumbling. If we're grumbling, we're more likely to say, I don't really believe that God can come through for us here. If we're grumbling, we're more likely to fall into sexual immorality because we start looking for comfort and meaning elsewhere. If we're grumbling, we're more likely to be distracted because we get that sense of entitlement. Oh, life's rubbish. It's time for some pagan revelry. Complexities this time can lead us into these things and lead us into idolatry. Also, very practically for us at Gateway, the fact that we're having to be divided in terms of how we do church can open the door to this. So... Some people in a room on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, other people watching online. That kind of division can open the door for all kinds of misunderstanding and all kinds of grumbling. Once the people of Israel enter the promised land, we see this. Things get complex between the tribes. Sometimes they think the worst of one another rather than the best. There were three tribes who decided they wanted to stay in the land the other side of the Jordan and not enter the promised land itself. God gave them a different part of territory. And the deal was they had to enter the promised land with the rest of the Israelites and make sure the rest of Israel was established in the land before they could go back to the land that God had given them. And this is what it says in Joshua 22. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh and Canaan to return to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. When they came to Geloth near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Geloth near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. 
Now, the issue here was that the Israelites actually thought the other three tribes were committing idolatry. They heard they'd built an altar. They think, oh, no, they're gone and worshipping false gods. And so the rest of the Israelites gear up to go and go to battle and sort them out. Complete misunderstanding. What transpires is that the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, actually they'd built this altar to the Lord and as a memorial so the rest of the Israelites wouldn't forget them. It was actually meant to be a kind of a, a, an offering of, of peace and friendship, and it was perceived as something hostile. And they almost went to war over it and slaughtered each other until they realized the mistake that had been made. Now, for us in our context at this time, because we're having to do things in different groups, different times, different places, we could easily start to assume the worst of one another. We could easily go to war with one another. We need to be careful about these things. So what should we do? What we should do is flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. My dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. I love that. You're sensible people. Actually, if you read the letters to the Corinthians, you think they weren't that sensible a lot of the time. But Paul says, you are sensible. Come to your senses. And Gateway Church, you are sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. What Paul does here is to ground what he's saying in the Lord's Supper. And that's partly because he's having to address particular problems at Corinth where they were not doing the Lord's Supper as they should have done, but the principles apply to us. And the point, I think, is this. For someone who has participated in the Lord's Supper, you've taken communion, for a person like that, for people like us, to then commit idolatry is just crazy. When we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus is there. Now, the Israelites had the cloud, they had the sea, they had Moses, they had the manna, they had the water... We have Jesus. And the idols are dead. Idols can only give death, but Jesus is alive and he gives life. And so why would you go anywhere else? Why would you go looking any place else for life when Jesus alone is the one who is alive and can give you life and everything else, all the other idols are dead and can only give you death? What Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us is, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You, if you've been baptized, you've taken the bread and the wine, you've come to Christ, you've known the reality of the Spirit in filling you, you've got that living water of Christ-given life flowing within you. Remember who you are. And the thing about idolatry is that it's so subtle and also seems so every day. Things like immorality, things like testing God, things like grumbling just seem completely every day, but they are completely inappropriate for us. And if we catch ourselves doing them, what we need to do is realize that actually we're getting our hands into the mud again when in Jesus we have palm-fringed beaches to enjoy. Look up from the mud. Look back to Jesus and worship him. If you need security, if you need comfort, if you need rest, if you need provision, where are you going to find those things? Only in Jesus. 
only Jesus. Let's not follow the example of the Israelites and slip into idolatry, slip into the mud. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's remember what he has done for us. Let's remember our past experience, but let's keep digging into that present experience that he is feeding us. He's giving us the water of life now. Jesus is alive and he's giving us life. Amen.